How about now? Yeah, that's that cool, sexy voice. All right, well, it's great to be here this morning. I didn't realize, I had been out of the, uh, hadn't preached in a while and been out of the pulpit, and I told him, I can't, I didn't realize it was doing this to the numbers, you know what I mean? The numbers had, trans- almost like a big nasty virus came through or something, but they got me back up here, try to get these numbers up, I guess. But uh, it's great to be here. They told me, as part of this whole coronavirus thing, they said, you got to keep your sermon shorter, because we got to clean in between. I'm, anybody that knows me knows I'm long-winded, Right? So I'm going to do the best I can, uh, and I got it as shortened as I could. The Bible says, wives, be subject to your husbands in everything. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) I got you, Virgil. I'm just kidding. So uh, we're going to continue on in the book of Kings. Um, Last week, you remember, Pastor Chris spoke about how Uh, Solomon had built this um, beautiful, beautiful temple uh, for the Lord and all the labor and all the beautiful materials that have went into it. You know, and who remembers how long it took? Seven years. Awesome. You guys are on it. So it talks about how they labored and how one stone fit perfectly into the other. There was no gaps. Everything was done beautifully and precise. Uh, And it talks about this beautiful imagery of this temple. And then there was a but. Who remembers the but? But Solomon took 13 years on his temple, right, or on his home. So, you know, God's kind of showing us that if we're not careful, we can be dislike that, right? We, we shake our heads at people in the Bible, and we, we talk about them like, oh, my gosh, how could they do that? And if we're not careful, we do the exact same thing. Uh, we worry about ourselves. We put ourselves in what we want before what God has already asked us to do and the purpose that God has for us. And if we're not careful, we fall into those very same things, those very same mistakes, those very same sins. Um, but again, last week we saw how this beautiful temple was built. And this week we're going to kind of go into um, it's finished now, it's completed, and Solomon is, is excited and he's, and he's proud and he's stoked and he wants to get this, these people here and he wants to dedicate uh, this temple to the Lord. So that's where we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 8. Before we do, let's go ahead and uh, uh, let's open in prayer. Father God, we're so thankful, Lord, that we could be here this morning. Uh, God, we know that there's so many other things these people could be doing, Lord, but they chose to be here to offer you worship and praise, and we just pray that it would be pleasing to you this morning, Father. And God, in this crazy world that's uh, going on outside these four walls, Lord, help us to always remember that you are in control. And God, let us leave everything outside the door that our hearts and our minds might be focused on you, Lord. And if anyone here or listening, God, if they do not have that personal relationship with you, let today be the day that their eyes are open, their hearts are pierced, and they would know that you have done the work and you have paid the price. Now they need to simply believe. It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus we ask. Amen. All right, we do got a lot of scripture, so I'm going to pick up here in in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' households of the sons of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. 
So we see here again, with Solomon is, is he's so excited about here. The temple is finished, and now they're at a point. They've got everything done, and now they're starting to bring in uh, their holy utensils. They're starting to bring in all these things that are so meaningful to their faith. Uh, the biggest one being this Ark of the Covenant. And so they're bringing all this stuff in, and Solomon really wants it to go well. So he's invited all the leaders of all the 12 tribes of Israel. They're all there. Everyone who is of any importance is there because Solomon wants to make a big deal out of this. This is the most important thing that they've done in a long time, and Solomon really is, is pumped about it. And he wants this to be a huge uh, celebration for his people uh, because this is an amazing thing that's happened has been done here. Um, and the Bible says it happens during the feast, uh, which is in the seventh month. That would be the, more than likely the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, that's one of the three main feasts where people would actually, the Jewish people would actually make the pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem to worship, to sacrifice. The other ones, they could kind of stay where they were at. But there were three that, you know, God wanted them to all come into uh, pilgrim to uh, Jerusalem and worship there and sacrifice there. And that was the Feast of Tabernacles, Pentecost. Um, and then also the Passover was where most people would pilgrim in, uh, into the uh, city there, Jerusalem. So we have these three major feasts, and, and this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles has a lot of importance to not just the Jewish people uh, and the relevance from the past, but us as believers. Uh, there is also a great and important promise in Zechariah. Chapter 14, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year and worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And how awesome is that as us as believers, we have that promise that one day we will be at the feet of Jesus. One day we will see him in person and worship him in person. We'll hear his voice speak to us. And be able to celebrate these feasts and these things with him. That's the goal. That's the goal. No matter what you got going on in your life, your goal is not here. Your goal is to be there. And to enjoy your Savior. And to relish every moment that you have with your Savior, Jesus. I can't wait. I look so forward to it. And then in 1 Kings, we're going to keep reading here. Chapter 8. It says, Then all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent. And the priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place and in the, into the inner sanctuary of the house to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles from above. But the poles were so long that the ends of the poles could not be, could be seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen outside, and they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put, uh, put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with his sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So now we're starting to see this celebration take place. They're, they're starting to move the holy utensils in there. And the biggest one, like we talked about, is the Ark of the Covenant. That was a beautiful, beautiful, huge golden box that um, they kept the law in there when, Moses, when it got passed down to Moses. That's what went inside of there. 
And it says that it's covered with cherubim, built and inlaid with gold and covered with cherubim who were... Cherubim were kind of protector angels. They're very close to God. If you remember in Genesis 3, it was a cherubim that God placed uh, at the Garden of Eden to guard the tree of life with his flaming sword, it said. And there's this beautiful ark that has so much history to the Jewish people and so much relevance to the Jewish people. And so they're bringing this up, and it is a celebration. I mean, they are partying. They are sacrificing. This is an awesome thing that's happening to them because before... Uh, you know, the ark just stayed in a tent, and it was called a tabernacle, and they just kind of moved wherever they were moving to. But this is a celebration that God, this permanent housing was built for this presence of God. So let's read at some of the important things that uh, this ark holds in the history of the Jewish people. Exodus 25 says, Make one cherub at the end and, at the, uh, and uh, the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The face of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are at the ark of the testimony about everything which I give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So we see first off right there when, when, when it was first constructed, God said, told Moses, I'm go- that's where I'm going to meet you. That's where I will dwell with my people. That's where my presence will be, and I will teach you, and I will instruct you what to do as my people. So that's the first thing. In Joshua chapter 3, it says, So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant, before the people and those who bore the ark came to the Jordan and they set their feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows on all its banks during the time of harvest that the waters which came down upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam to the city that is beside Zoratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of Arabah, the salt sea failed and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. When the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until all of the people had crossed completely with the Jordan, over the Jordan. So we see here again that as soon as these priests who were carrying the ark, as soon as their feet touched the water of the Jordan River, that it, it parted just like the Red Sea parted. And the people walked through on, on dry ground, and the priests walked the ark through on dry ground. Again, God's showing His power and His presence. It's not that the, necessarily the ark itself had the power, but it was the presence of God that God was displaying His power. And in Joshua chapter 6, the Bible tells us that the priests would carry this ark when they marched around the walls of Jericho. They had the ark with them, and they carried the ark around with them seven times. Everybody knows what happened on that seventh time, right? The walls fell. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and 5, and if you haven't read this, I would go read this. This is an awesome story. But the Philistines and the Israelites are fighting. And, and Philistine conquers Israel. So they go and they ransack. And they, they ransack their temple. And they take this Ark of the Covenant. And so they take this Ark of the Covenant. And they want to really insult the Jewish people. So they put it in their temple. They put it in their temple to, to their god, Dagon. 
And so overnight, they come back in the next morning, and the statue of their god Dagon is laying face down, facing the Ark of the Covenant. And so they think, well, maybe just coincidence, right? Something. So they pick it back up, put it back in its place. They come back the next day. Guess what happened? Face down toward the Ark of the Covenant. Only this time, its head was cut off, and its hands were cut off. God is showing you how powerful, whoa, that he is. And so it's just crazy because every time they had this and they would, they would move, the Philistines would move this ark from city to city because no city wanted it in their city. Every time it got there, there would be famine. There would be destruction. There would be disease. There would be tragedy of the people of the city. So the people got tired of saying, hey, we don't want this thing anymore. I know you might have thought it was a good thing to take this, but we don't want it anymore. Send it back. And they not only send the ark back to the Israel, they bribe them to take it. They said, not only take this, but take all this other stuff too. You just take this back. So God is showing you how powerful that he is here and how great that he is. And, you know, just like us, it seems like there's so many enemies of God right now in the world. And it feels like that the enemy has a stranglehold on this world. And it seems like no matter what we do, the enemy always seems to come out on top or come out ahead. But my Bible tells me that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And Jesus told me to take courage because I have overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, so will we. That's what my Bible tells me. And so the enemy, he may have went, he may win a battle or two. It may seem like he's going to be victorious, but in the end, God wins. And because God wins, guess what? We win. We have that victory through Jesus Christ because we win too. And you need to remember that when struggle comes on you and when it feels like the enemy has its grip on you and there's no way out, remember that God said no enemy and no weapon formed against you is going to prosper against my children. And if you're a believer, you're a child of God, and that promise is yours. You need to claim it. So anyways, in around 586 B.C., the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, he comes and he destroys the temple. And then he takes, or so it's thought, that he takes this Ark of the Covenant. And that's the last that you ever really hear of it. Uh, There's been so many mysteries about it, so many things that have uh, been said about it that nobody really knows where it's at, to be honest. Uh, anybody remember the famous movie Indiana Jones? He can't even keep a hold of it, right? <laughs> so that's what that was about. I didn't really know that when I was growing up. But some believe that the king destroyed it because he wanted to really shame Israel, that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. I don't believe that. Um, some believe that it was hidden by the priests, that they knew that the Nebuchadnezzar was going to attack, so they hid it. That very well could be, and then it's just never been found to this day. Um, some people believe, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of the Knights Templars. Some people believe that they have it, and they have hidden it away. Um, and there's actually a church to this day called the Church of St. Mary in Ethiopia, who it's said that they have it, but no one has seen it. I don't know. I wish I could tell you where it's at. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but... To this day, no one has seen it. Um, The only thing that I know about it is wherever it is, that's where God wants it. And when God wants it revealed, he's going to have it revealed. And so I rest in that and know that that's the case. 
But back again in the main text, we see that these people are so excited over this. I mean, they're going before this ark, and they're sacrificing, and they're making all these. It's like a bloodbath. The Bible said there couldn't be numbered how many sheep and oxen were sacrificed. And they're excited about this, and they're overfilled with joy and with worship. And we need some of that today in Christianity. We are so scared about what people think about us. And we are so scared about what what somebody's going to say about us. If we get a little too excited for the Lord, or if we say this about God, well, maybe they're going to, they won't hang out with me anymore. Who cares? We need some excitement and we need some joy for the Lord back in the Christian church. Because we don't have enough of it. The Apostle Paul said, if I'm thought to be a fool, let it be a fool for Christ's sake. And we as believers need to start taking that mentality on. It don't matter. It don't matter what your friend, if they don't like you because you're a believer, that's, that's on them. That's not on you. you if you're going to be a fool, be a fool for Jesus. Because he's done a lot for you, let me tell you. But they bring this ark and they set it in the temple and they set it in what's called the Holy of Holies. And that, that was a place that only the high priest could go. That was one time a year. And that was at the Day of Atonement. And when the high priest would go in, he would sacrifice for the nation. And if he went in and he had sin on him, he dropped dead. That's how powerful the presence of the Lord is. Sin cannot stand in the presence of God. And so they would tie a little bell on him. And if he dropped dead, they'd just drag him out and (laughs) nominate somebody else. Would not want that job. But that's how powerful the presence is. Of God is sin cannot be in the presence of God. So then we're going to move on here, and we see that once this ark is once it's placed, something miraculous again happens. So First Kings eight ten and eleven. It says, and it happened that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. So they take this ark and they put it in the Holy of Holies. And again, we see now the Shekinah glory of God, the all-powerful glory of God comes and rests in the temple. And it's so bad that it fills the room so bad that they can't even stand to be in there. And this is the same Shekinah glory of God. If you remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai, it was the cloud that covered Mount Sinai. It's the same cloud that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. The same Shekinah glory that in Exodus chapter 40 When Moses finished the tabernacle, that says the Lord filled the tabernacle with his Shekinah glory. That's the same glory that has now been restored back into this temple. You know, I don't know how long it had been. The Bible, I know there's a gap in in how long it had been since these people had seen this. So there's excitement. They They are excited, they're overwhelmed, and they're filled with worship. And so God was given his approval of this temple that they had built, and God was telling the people, I'm here. I'm right here in your midst. No matter what is going on around you, I'm right here. And that's what God is trying to tell us as believers today, too. We still have that promise. I'm right here. I know you might struggle with this, but I'm right here. Choose me. I know you might think the enemy has won, but I'm right here. Choose me. And I tell you what, our... The church itself, the big C church, it could use a little bit of that too. 
It could use a little bit of the Shekinah glory of God coming and resting on us again. Because I tell you what, the Big C Church has gotten a little too comfortable. We've gotten a little too used to, we'll just go along to get along, right? We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We'll just social this or social that. We don't want to preach Jesus too hard because it might offend people. Who cares? We need that in the church today. We need again for God to visit us and stir us up and get us excited about what he's purposed for each one of us. We need it in the church. Now we're going to read eight, uh, 1 Kings 8, 12 through 21. Uh, this is a lot of reading. So it says, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he will dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. Then the king faced about and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hand, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of Israel or out of Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the cities of all the tribes of Israel in which to build my house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house. But your son, who will build, uh, will, will be born to you. He will build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. For I have risen in the place of my father David, and sit on the throne of Israel. And the Lord promised, and has built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There have set a place for the ark, in which it is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them from the land of Egypt. All right, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on those verses just because uh, Pastor Chris has covered those, really. Basically, what Solomon is saying is, is God used my father mightily. God used David mightily, and, and God gave, gave peace on every side so that we could worship in peace and we could be here in peace. And my father wanted to build this house for God, but because he had blood on his hands, God said, you can't. But God made him a promise that, that was far off because Solomon hadn't even been born. When God promised him that your son's going to build this house. God promised him and God loved what was in David's heart, but God said, you can't do it. Sometimes, you know, other people are meant to do things. We just need to set it up. The Apostle Paul said, I sow and other man waters, but God causes the growth. We just need to do what God has purposed us to do. And then Solomon, of course, takes a little bit of credit and says, I've done <laughs> all of these things, and I am sitting here now in my father's house. But I want to finish up on something here that, uh, you know, God just kind of placed on my heart while I've been uh, kind of looking at this and, 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 and working on this. You know, it had been almost 500 years it had been since Israel came out of Egypt. And God never once, God never once asked them, to build him a temple. You won't find it anywhere. God never once 
said, build me a temple, other than when David mentioned it. God didn't ask them for that. What God wanted and what God stressed to them was your relationship to me. That's what God cared about. What is your relationship to me? Are you listening to what I want? Are you, are you in fellowship with me? God didn't care about a building. We can build these buildings as big and as beautiful as we want, but what God cares about is you, his people. That's what God cares about. He didn't ask them for a temple. Are you listening to the leaders that I've put over you? I put David over you. Are you listening to him? Is your relationship right with me? All through the scripture, that's what you see. That's what you see. God wants a relationship with you. And God wants you to be working on that relationship with him. God didn't ask for a temple. You know, as big and as beautiful as that temple was, 586 B.C., it got destroyed, laid waste. And you know what they did? They built it bigger. And they built it more beautiful. And you know what happened? 70 A.D., the Romans laid it to waste. Remember, Jesus said, not one stone upon another on this temple will be, won't be overturned. And they destroyed it. They destroyed the temple. So we can build things. We can build this church. We can build, have churches as big and as beautiful as our eyes can see and our, our heads can imagine. But in the end, it's only temporary. In the end, it really doesn't matter, to be quite honest. It doesn't matter how big and how beautiful we build it, because in the end, it's going to be gone. In the end, it'll be destroyed, just like everything else. And also, this, these temples that they were building back then, that's just a foreshadowing of what God was really going to do. Because now... God has a permanent temple in which he dwells. Anybody who knows what that is? That's us. God has a permanent temple now in which he dwells. And that's you. You are the temple of God. If you are a believer, you are the temple of God. The Shekinah glory of God and the person of the Holy Spirit has come down and dwells in you. Something greater than the ark dwells inside of you. The presence and the person of God dwells inside of you if you are a believer. The only difference is now the enemy can't destroy this temple. Now he can harass me and he can do all kinds of things. I mean, he can even kill me. But he can't destroy this temple because guess what happens? It comes back glorified. Even better than what it was. He cannot destroy the temple that God had meant for. And when you become a believer, again, the Holy Spirit, He dwells in you. And He's going to be with you forever. And He's never going to leave. And that is a promise from God. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed Underline some words with the Holy Spirit of promise, whom is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I don't know how people can read that scripture and not believe in the eternal security of the believer. I really don't. I don't know how you get past that. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is your deposit, your down payment, your guarantee 
that what God has started, he's going to finish. God has promised you eternal life, and that is your guarantee, the Holy Spirit inside of you, the temple of God. And so now, instead of this big, elaborate housing that they have for the Ark of the Covenant, now here is the temple for the Holy Spirit of God. Something far greater than what God has always wanted was for us to be the temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, when you become a Christian, you are God's representation on earth. Now, you may say, whoa, I don't want that. Well, that's too bad, because you are. You are the temple of God. You are the representation of God to this world. And so we need to be cautious of how we are using this temple. We need to be cautious of how we're representing God with this temple that we have. You know, like Chris said last week, what response are people going to give when they look at your temple? What's going to be their response when they see it? I mean, some temples are naturally more beautiful on the outside. I'm just kidding. But when people look at that temple that you're constructing, what do they see? What do they see that you've built for God? Do they see anger? Do they see resentment? Do they see foul language? Do they see drunkenness? Do they see sexual immorality? What do they see out of the representation of God that we're supposed to be? You are the temple of God. Or do they see love, joy, peace, patience, what God had intended for us to be, what God had intended for us as his children to show the world? What are they seeing out of your temple? What kind of worship are they seeing out of your temple? See, when we're reading the word of God and when we're in prayer, we're building, we're piling those precious stones on that, that God talked about. That's the precious stones that's being built on our temple. Jesus Christ is the foundation. The word of God tells us that. How are we going to build on it? Are we reading our word? Are we in prayer? Those are precious stones that are being, being built up through your temple. Are we being there for our brothers and sisters and loving them like God taught us to be? Are we bearing one another's burdens? Galatians 6, 2 said, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's pretty short and sweet. And I tell you what, until you're that person that has the burden... You don't know how important that scripture is. You don't know how much that scripture means until it is you that's being weighed down with burden. That's why God says, if you can do that, if you can love your brothers and sisters enough to do that, you fulfilled the whole law of Christ because you're loving like I taught you to love. You know, we were were just in the hospital with my brother for I don't even know how long. And with his situation, you know, and you can't go in and visit him. And my mom, I couldn't get her to leave. So for four days, we sat there staring at a hospital building, living four hour to five hour updates. That's all we had. 
and it's awful, and it weighs on you. And people don't know what it means to get a phone call, to say, hey, how you doing? Just want you to know I'm praying for you. Or a text that says, hey, praying for you. And you may think, well, gosh, I'm, it's just a little gesture, or gosh, I'm just going to pray. And You may not see it with your eyes, but people feel it. Your brothers and sisters feel it when you're there for them. And we need it, church. We need to be about God's business and being there for our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I'm so thankful for everyone that prayed for him. And trust me, we felt it. And we knew it. You know, when you go to visit someone that's sick, or when you, when you help your brother or sister out, maybe they've fallen into something and they shouldn't be, and you're helping them out. Or they're hungry and you're feeding them. And if you do that, please don't post it on Facebook. Please do not post it on Facebook. Hashtag helping the hungry or something in front of their house so everybody can see who it is. Don't do that. that. All that does is take those precious stones and turn it into hay and straw that's going to be burned up. There's no reward for that at that point. Your reward comes from when you're doing stuff for God just to do it for God. You don't have to publicize it. When you're doing those things, those are building that foundation and that beautiful temple that God wants you to build. And our relationships, well, how are we in our relationships with people? Are we becoming more like the people we hang out with, or are they becoming more like us? You need to be mindful of that. Very mindful of that. Those are the precious stones that we're building our temple with. When we're reaching out to the lost and showing them the love of God, because nobody else is going to show them, even the lowly, the people that we look down on or the society looks down on, when we show them the love of Christ, that is the precious stones that God is talking about building your temple with. We need to be careful of how we're building our temple. You know, it's funny. I hear a lot of people and they, you know, they say, well, I just don't know what my purpose is. You're the church. You know what your purpose Your purpose is to lead people to Jesus. There's no greater purpose than that. If you're a doctor, use that as a, as a springboard to preach the gospel to people. If you're a lawyer, use that to do something for Jesus. No matter what you do, that's secondary to what your purpose is, is to teach people and show people the love of Jesus. There's no greater purpose than that. There's really no other purpose than that. That's what we're here for. That's our job when we're here. Don't be out reading books about trying to find out your purpose is to show people the love of Christ. And if you can do that, you're going to succeed. It's not hard. And if you love people, you're going to tell them about Jesus. That's just the way it is. You have the greatest message ever told about the greatest person to ever live. You have the remedy to death. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be ashamed of it? Are you going to shove it in a corner with all the other wood and, and hay and straw? Are you going to build on it? You are the church. This building has no special... I hear people all the time, well, I'm trying to get them to come to church. 
You're the church. What message are you preaching? What sermon are you teaching them? You're the church. This building can't save anybody. You are the church. You have the word of God. You have the message of God. This church has no special power. You have relationships with people that that no pastor ever will. Be the church. Listen, I don't want you to miss one day, to miss one opportunity to do good for Jesus. Trust me, I've seen how fragile life is and how quick it can turn. Don't miss one opportunity to tell your loved ones or the people that you know about Jesus. To add those precious stones and those precious jewels to your temple. Don't miss one opportunity to do it. Because one day, those opportunities run out. One day they're gone. You can say, well, tomorrow I'm going to do this. or tomorrow, But one day it's gone. There's no more tomorrow. And one day, guess what? The building inspector is going to come. And he's going to inspect that temple that you built. One day we're going to get to stand before the Lord Jesus and say, here's what I built. And he's going to inspect it. Hebrews 4, 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That naked and open, it's really talking like almost like an autopsy. It's saying that God is going to get away, he's going to knock down all that external stuff, all that pretty makeup, and all that pretty painting, and all that pretty stuff that you, you show people on the outside of the temple. And he's going to cut you open, and he's going to look inside of you, and he's going to see. This is the real you. Here's what you've done for me. Here's the opportunities you had, and here's the opportunities you wasted. And we'll get to stand before Jesus and see the holes through his wrist. And we'll get to give an account for that. And how will our temple look when we present it to Jesus? Because we're going to. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, According to the grace of God which is given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and, no, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That's why I don't want you to miss an opportunity. Because we can get so complacent, so comfortable. And the church can get so comfortable that they don't, it's just, Let's go about our business. We just go about our day. We don't, we don't get excited about telling people about Jesus. We don't get excited when someone steps in there to be baptized. That's the pinnacle. 
We're Christians. We should be excited when that stuff happens. I don't want you to miss one opportunity to build that foundation, to build that temple that one day God's going to inspect. Let's go ahead and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, again, we come to you, Lord. and Jesus, I, just, I wish that I had better words to explain how much that you loved us, better ways to tell what all that you've done for us. But God, your word is clear that you did it all. You suffered a death that no man could suffer. You suffered a punishment that you did not deserve. That we might be reconciled to you. That we might be called your children. Father, we just pray that each one here, Lord, that we'll be careful of how we build this temple for you, God. That we would be careful of each and everything that we do, God. That we would be excited to speak of you because of all the great things that you've done for us. Help us to not push those aside, God, to be excited to tell the story of you. Help us, God, as we go on our walk and as people see this temple that we're building for you, God, that they would see love and that they would see grace and that they would see mercy. Help us, God, that we take every opportunity that you show us to show Jesus to the people around us God this world is feels like it's gone crazy and you are the answer and these people here God we have the greatest message ever told let us not be ashamed of it and if we're thought to be a fool let it be a fool for you Jesus God and let us walk in a way and in a manner that's worthy to be called your children it's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it amen